fans. Welcome to episode 46 of Locked on Cubs. I'm your host, Ryan Davis, from the Sporting News and Cubs Insider, and hopefully something else coming up shortly. And I'm back this Friday for another episode of your favorite Cubs podcast. I appreciate you guys hanging with my uh, my guys coming in and helping me out the last few days while I was on vacation. Personally, I think each of them did an outstanding job, and I appreciate Matt and Brendan and Sean uh, stepping in and providing you guys something to listen to and breaking down the first week of action. While I took a much-needed break, a vacation to Las Vegas that I had planned several months ago, and just uh, just got to relax and play and have fun. I know you guys don't care about my vacation details, but the cool thing for me is that it's currently 10.35 p.m. on Thursday night, and I flew basically overnight from Las Vegas back home and then drove from St. Louis to, to my home. So uh, I'm going on like a sporadic couple hours of sleep right now. Like uh, things that happened for me on Wednesday morning or early afternoon feels like much, much, much earlier today for me. Uh, so I, I'm kind of in a weird state of mind right now. So bear with me while I bring you this latest Locked on Cubs podcast. The Cubs won. They beat the Brewers 8-0 on Thursday night, pushing their record to 3-3. Three and three. Uh, I've noted this a couple times uh, from my whole entirety of my trip to Las Vegas. The Cubs did not score a single run. Now, that's not totally their fault because they had two days off, but uh, they got shut out on Sunday when I first arrived. They got shut out by the Reds on Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, they had off. So uh, I had a feeling they were going to score some runs on Thursday, and they did. Uh, they put eight runs up on the Brewers and Brent Suter, uh, their you know, soft-tossing lefty that they have. John Lester on the other side. Uh, was absolutely outstanding. It, it was his first game since opening day when he was kind of shaky against the Marlins. I know there was some kind of thought that at, coming off last year that you know maybe this was the beginning of the end for John Lester, and it's still too early to decide what's going on with, with him. It's just it's two games, but uh, he looked absolutely phenomenal. Uh, six innings, three hits, no earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. Uh, a big difference for him on Thursday night versus opening night is that Lester was getting all kinds of pitches outside the strike zone. He was nibbling the corners and getting those calls uh, on Thursday night, whereas you know he was even putting some in the strike zone on opening day that were called for balls. So it's a big difference for him. When he's getting those outside corners, he's going to be fine. It's just when he's not getting them that there's going to be a problem. And you know, some days he's just not going to get the outside corners and, and that's going to be a struggle for him because at this point his velocity is a little bit lower and he relies on about a 91 mile an hour fastball with a cutter. And that's just what it is for Lester at this point. He's more crafty veteran in how he gets you out than anything else. But either way, a, a great game for him, which was good to see. Uh, Edwards, C-Shack, and Butler closed it all out with a combined three innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts, which was absolutely outstanding. And we'll talk more about the bullpen in a little bit. Jason Hayward worked a seven or eight pitch at bat against Brewers closer Corey Knable and finished it out with a two-run homer. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jason Hayward again in a little bit in the second segment. Uh, Knable came out with an apparent leg injury that looked pretty nasty. I can talk about that a little bit later. And then final notes here, Javier Baez, one for one at the plate, three walks, two of them were intentional because he was batting eighth in front of Lester, and then one hit by pitch. So overall, 
uh, a pretty good day when Javier Baez is going one for one and getting on base five times. You know, that's going to help the old on base percentage for Javi. Final thing I wanted to note about this game Ian Happ, since his first pitch home run on opening day, is two for 21 with 14 strikeouts. And another thing we will talk about again uh, in a minute or so. The Cubs and Brewers play again on Friday with Kyle Hendricks facing Brandon Woodruff. 7 10 p.m. Central Time. The game will be broadcast in Chicago and the Chicago viewing area on NBC Sports Network Plus. So, here are some things to be positive about uh, with going on with the Cubs through their first six games. Uh, number one is that Jason Hayward continues to look better in limited action at the plate. Now, something we talked about a little bit before the season started on this podcast, and then even after the first game uh, I talked about with Hayward, is that he is seeing less and less time uh, actually in the field. Ben Zobrist has been getting a little bit more playing time early on than I thought he would get because he's been absolutely scalding the ball when that did not change on Thursday night. I think his I only saw his first four plate appearances because I had some stuff going on, but uh, every single one of them, I think he was two for four, and the two outs were screaming line drives. So this is a guy who's ripping the cover off the ball and deserves to be out there. So Hayward has lost some playing time, especially against lefties. I don't think he's started against uh, a lefty yet. So um, Hayward has not been out there against lefties who you know traditionally have um, made him struggle at the plate. So uh, that's one thing. But when Hayward has been out there, it's generally looked better, even when the results haven't been there, which is something that you know, I've talked to a, a few other people about. You may have remember me talking about this on the, the podcast. Even when the result isn't there, when Hayward's you know hitting a 390 foot out to right field uh, with 99 mile an hour or, or whatever it was off the bat uh, in Florida, you know that's positive stuff. He came in with a pinch hit plate appearance against a strong closer. He started 0-2, I believe, and then worked a 3-2 count uh, against Knable and fouled a few off and then just absolutely crushed one to right field uh, for our two-run homer. That That's positive. That's really good stuff. Uh, coming into today's game, there was a stat that I saw that uh, my good friend Joel Reese brought to my attention, and that was with a minimum of 10 balls in play, Hayward was leading Major League Baseball in hard hit percentage at 76.9%. Uh, coming into tonight's game before he you know came into that one plate appearance and hit that big home run so uh that's another hard hit ball i guess it's a home run so it's technically not a ball in play but you know you get the idea uh, he's been hitting the ball hard when he's out there and i think it just looks a little bit different i know i probably said that at the start of last season as well when i thought that hayward was looking different and there were stretches where i thought that he just was a completely different batter this year, I, I feel like Hayward is going to come out and have that mediocre average season with the bat that we were all hoping to see last year coming off that terrible 2016. Just give me that, you know, 100 OPS plus. Give me that average season at the plate and your stellar right field or center field defense wherever he's playing on a given day. Give me that. And this is probably a guy who provides surplus value for the Cubs. So that's something to be really excited about, uh, at least in the early six-game small sample. Eddie Butler's stuff has been playing up in the bullpen, which is the best that the Cubs could have hoped for when they kept him on the roster. I was in the camp where I thought he should be on the roster just because he provides value. 
in that he's not even in arbitration yet. So he has a low salary. He you know has major league experience. He's a former uh, top prospect. So he has some good stuff, but uh, he had just not really learned how to miss bats in the major leagues yet in his time with the Rockies and last season with the Cubs. So the fact that his stuff has been playing up in the bullpen and that he's actually striking out batters, that's you know some really positive stuff. He came in and had two strikeouts against the Brewers in the ninth inning and kind of mop-up duty on Thursday night. But uh, so far, two appearances for Butler out of the bullpen this season and two you know very impressive appearances as well. The final positive that I put down here is that after using up the bullpen their first few days uh, with those extra inning Marlins games, uh, the Cubs got two straight days off for their bullpen and then only had to use Edwards, Ciszek, and Butler for a total of three innings on Thursday. So they're rested. They're they're rested going forward. Guys like Strope, uh, Morrow, Wilson, those at uh, Montgomery, those guys who were used early on or or had to get up in the bullpen quite frequently early on, those guys are completely rested now. And you've got three final games in this series with the Brewers where you pretty much have everybody available. And that's a really positive thing going forward, especially where they were just a couple days ago. So uh, that rain out in Cincinnati certainly helped. The questions that I still have, I'm not even going to call it things I'm negative about. I was positive about the first three. These final two, I just have questions. And the first one is Brandon Morrow as the closer. So he came in in what? One situation uh, so far in the first six games. It was a non-save situation during that 17-inning game. He warmed up like four or five different times in that game, and that put him out for the next day despite, you know, even just throwing a few pitches against the Marlins. And, and this is all related to Morrow's injury history. We know that this guy has never been able to remain healthy. Uh, he's only been a reliever essentially for last season in his career. He, he was a starter before that, so nobody knew he was such a great reliever until he kind of showed up on the map in May or June with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. So this is a guy, and, and I'm not even the, I'm not the kind of guy who says, well, he's never been a closer before, so he can't be a closer. You need someone with closer experience. I don't buy that. I think you just have to have a guy who has good stuff and can go out there and pitch when you need him to. No one had questions the stuff that Morrow has, but can he go out there and pitch when you need him to? That is a serious question. This is a guy you have to treat with kids' gloves because of the previous forearm and shoulder injuries that he's had. I don't know if the closer spot is the best spot for him. I know Theo Epstein made that case uh, at the Cubs convention and throughout the winter that Morrow, because of the way closers get handled, he thinks that would be a better position to keep him healthy. I've felt since uh, they signed him that I think because of the way this group is put together, you've got... You know, say you want to put one guy in in the ninth inning as your closer, whether it's Justin Wilson or Pedro Strope, whoever you want it to be. Let's say that that's your ninth inning guy. Let's let's say that you know, for sake of argument, let's say you use Strope as your ninth inning guy. Then you've got Edwards, Ciszek, Wilson, and Brandon Morrow, who could all pitch the seventh or eighth inning. You know, you can really kind of schedule uh, Morrow when he's going to pitch and give him days off uh, based on. The fact that you have these four other guys who come in in that situation uh, on any given day. And and if Eddie Butler is for real, his stuff really is playing up in the bullpen and he's turning into a solid, reliable reliever, which is way too much to assume based on two appearances. But if that is the case, that's another guy you could put in there. So for me, for my money, I would say Morrow is better 
as a seventh or eighth inning guy who comes in uh, on days when he knows he's going to pitch or uh, at the very least days where he knows he won't pitch. And that doesn't screw up anything else for the Cubs where you still have, you know, if Morrow's not going to pitch one day, you still could go seventh inning C-Shack, eighth inning Edwards slash uh, Justin Wilson and the ninth inning Strope and then have guys like Butler and Montgomery backing up from there. So that, that's how I feel on Morrow. That's the question I still have is, is this guy going to provide the, enough flexibility to be the closer this year and pitch the, that ninth inning regularly without kind of creating waves in the bullpen uh, that kind of throw everybody off their game. The other question that I still have is Ian Happ. And I alluded to this earlier, but he was absolutely murdering the ball from the start of spring training through the first pitch of the season. And since then, it's been really bad. The initial reaction that I've heard and that and that I feel early is that this is just a slump and he'll break out of it. But 14 strikeouts in his last 21 plate appearances is really bad. That's that's not just hitting into bad luck. That's missing the ball. And that's a much bigger deal. and something to keep an eye on because at this point last year, um, I mean, obviously at this point it was super early, but uh, just in April last year, everyone felt the same way about Kyle Schwarber. Oh, he's just not, you know, making great contact, but he's just missing some pitches and it's just a slump. He's going to come out of it. But last year was essentially Schwarber's second season in the big leagues for all intents and purposes. And this is the same for Ian Happ. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Ian Happ had somewhat of a nasty first half to the season before he kind of figured things out again. So uh, just something to keep an eye on. There's no panic yet on Ian Happ, but uh, it does look really bad at the plate. There's no denying that. He just needs to figure it out and start making good contact again like he was in spring training. All right, for final segment, I wanted to talk about uh, what's going on around in the NL Central. Uh, again, the Brewers fell to 4-3 and three with their Thursday night loss to the Cubs, but the bigger loss might be their closer, Corey Knable. He's one of the best young relievers in the game, in my opinion, and their bullpen was already somewhat of a question mark coming into the season. <sighs> the Brewers have three more games in this series against the Cubs that they won't have Knable, barring a miracle. And it's much more likely that he's going to miss more than just the next few games. He probably is going on the DL. It looked like he had a hamstring injury. My initial reaction was, cross your fingers, maybe it was just a really bad cramp. But I think the more likely scenario is that he injured his hamstring and is going to go on the DL for a while. So that's a big blow for the Brewers. The Cardinals on Thursday lost the Arizona Diamondbacks by a score of 3-1. to one. Adam Wainwright made a season debut but was not sharp. He threw 89 pitches in just three and two-thirds innings. He allowed three runs. He gave up four hits and walked four batters. Uh, not a good debut for Wainwright, who I think is 36 years old this year, maybe 37. And the Cardinals dropped to three and four on the season. The big surprise of the NL Central came from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who won five to two over the Cincinnati Reds on Thursday to push their record to five and one. They do have some young talent. This is something that I talked to Jason Rollison on uh, our preview episode for the Pirates. They do have some young talent that I like. A uh, guy like Gregory Polanco, I thought, was due to finally break out and show you know, that promise that you know people would build him as a top prospect for. And I, he's hitting well early this season. I think he hit a home run on Thursday night against the Reds. Uh, so... There are reasons to believe that this Pirates team at its core, you know, they have a nice core. They have some good players. 
um, that you can build around. Is this a playoff team this year? No, it is not. Uh, they've been getting some outstanding performances from guys like David Freeze. You just don't think that David Freeze is going to continue batting 333 with an OPS over a thousand. But uh, at any rate, the Pirates are five and one. They're the number one team in the NL Central as of today. And the Reds have also dropped to one and four with that loss. So uh, my estimation on all of this is that your Pirates are that classic early team that jumps out to a surprising record in their first handful of games. And then everyone remembers that baseball is a marathon and not a sprint. And the Pirates end up about where you expected them to by the end of the season. But if I wanted to be optimistic and tell you that this is a really good core of young players who are finally flipping the switch and performing like they should, the Pirates could be a 500 team this year. But that's about as far as I will go with it. So that's it. Uh, The Cubs play again Friday night, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. That'll be a 7-10 central time start with Kyle Hendricks on the mound. So hopefully the Cubs give you some interesting stuff to watch this weekend with their three games with the Brewers. And we come back around next Monday for episode 47 of Lockdown Cubs, and we have a whole lot of fun things to talk about. Again, thank you so much for uh, sticking with us uh, through my little vacation that I had. Uh, Send me feedback on what you guys liked or didn't like about uh, having guys fill in. Uh, I personally am very much welcoming any of those guys back to record a podcast in my absence. Uh, I thought they did a fantastic job. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Cubs. You can follow me at Ryan Q. Davis. Uh, again, I want to bring up, this is coming down to uh, a very quick end here, but I have a giveaway that I'm doing. It's a Sammy Sosa rookie card and a Wrigley Field watercolor print. Uh, not a huge giveaway by any means, but it's really simple. All you need to do is go to Locked on Cubs on Twitter and look at our pinned tweet. Uh, there's a picture of the watercolor print and a picture of the Sammy Sosa card and some instructions on how to enter to win those things. So Please do that. Please be sure to leave us reviews on iTunes. Send us feedback, comments, questions, whatever at lockdowncubs at gmail.com. You can send me mailbag questions there. So really, we're, we're having an exciting time. We, we've had uh, better days uh, every single week. I set a new record for most episode downloads uh, one day each week the last few weeks. So it's been really good. I appreciate you guys listening and hanging with us and sending your feedback and trying to make this a better podcast because that's what I want to do. I want to bring you guys the best Cubs podcast that I possibly can. So thank you again, and I will talk to you again next Monday.